There are more than 100 unique styles of beer, each with their own set of ingredients, process, guidelines, history, and experience. If you're a beer lover, an industry leader, or somewhere in between, a better knowledge of beer style will improve your life and your work. Welcome to A Sense of Beer Style, essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. I'm Julia Herz. And I'm Jeremy Storton. We're advanced Cicerones, beer judges, home brewers, and we're excited to guide you through the vast and wonderful world of beer styles. I will just do higher level on flavor components. Um, to me, off flavors is a misnomer, and I even correct myself as, a, as such an earlier mm-hmm. in this show. Um, flavor components is better to say because sometimes you will have flavors that are considered off flavors in certain beer styles, but acceptable in others at lower levels. So I like flavor components. Again, this is the document that I created with you know, the work of amazing team at crafter.com and the Brewers Association uh, when I was studying for Master Cicerone. What I wanted to point out here for those actually visibly able to see it, and if not, you can Google craftbeer.com flavor components, and it'll bring into the sheet, is the categories. So you have acids that will bring you certain flavors. You have um, carbonyl compounds. You have esters, as Jeremy was talking about. You have phenols. Um, you have sodium. You have different categories of sulfur. Um, that was a huge one I master was mm. talking to me about sulfur, and there's so many different types of compounds. Um, I document a few here. And then you have taints that, uh, you know, can be like a ferrous sulfate, which is like metallic. Um, uh, you know, uh, E2 nonanol is a taint. It's oxidation, which is very common in many beers. Um, and then vicinal dictones, if I say that right, um, are, you know, a combination of things, but really bring forth um, diacetyl um, in beer, which is really common in some beers strategic, uh, in others not intended at all. Um, so those are kind of some of the groups when we talk about flavor components that others might refer to as off flavors. Uh, and the um, the studying and the way to get to know, know those is is endless. Yes. And and it, I think it's important to know that that uh, all of those um, flavor components, uh, some people call them off flavors, like you mentioned, um, they come from different places and and even uh, from multiple different places. For example, if you had a vanilla typically comes from uh, barrels. Uh, um, if you have, uh, something like sulfur, actually different sulfurs can come from the grains. Some sulfurs can come from hops. Some sulfurs can come from the water. Some sulfurs can come from yeast. It's understanding what you taste and, and, and paying attention to, I'm tasting something different. Does it taste like cream corn? Does it taste like a boiled egg? Does it taste like a struck match? Um, the, the, we kind of talked about, uh, the better you can add, specificity to your vocabulary, the better you're going to be able to figure out what it is and where it came from, uh, if, if that's important to you, but it's important to know that, that some of these flavors can come from a lot of different places. Absolutely. We'll move on to water now, um, getting into the flavors of beer and Jeremy, you're definitely going to round me out on this one. And we certainly talk in depth in one of the prepositions on water and its ingredients how water affects pH, titratable acidity, which the wine world talks about a lot. Um, but what we're at after really today is kind of water chemistry and um, what the flavors um, delivered from water are. And a lot of people group different water um, geographies uh, to different beer styles that are indicative of the water in those geographies. You know, the London, Dublin, Germany, high calcium carbonate style water um, will give, you know, dark multi-beer flavors and a temporary hardness um, that precipitates out when heated, 
Um, high carbonate can make hops be waxy and unpleasant. Um, so that's something to keep in mind for the Lon London, Dublin, Germany style beers. Um, Burton, Burton on Trent out of the UK, for example, uh, very well known for high calcium sulfate, aka gypsum, um, accentuates hoppy beers and definitely brings to, um, forth permanent hardness. Um, and I love the concept of that brewers all over the world, um, when they brew of a beer style, that's a traditional classic beer style. They're also often mimicking the water profile from that region to really bring forth what the beer style is supposed to taste like. Um, so when you talk about water, uh, you've got all of these compounds, chloride, you know, a component of table salt is a mineral and very, very commonly um, considered when brewing. Calcium, very commonly considered than brewing. And each of these things do very specific things. Calcium can, you know, help acidify the mash and, um, you know, coaxes alpha amylase, one of the enzymes um, to do better when it's breaking down starch to sugar. Um, there's lots to really riff on on the C's, carbonate, calcium, um, and the like, and chlorophenols, um, which is based sometimes a reaction to chlorine-based sanitizers um, like bleach. Um, will affect the flavor of your beer um, and give you an essence of phenol, phenol that can be very band-aid-y or very chlorine-y like, um, like swimming pool um, and the like. Uh, so there is um, a little bit of a, of a higher level hit on the uh, very geeky complex uh, notion of the water topic. What else you got to add to that, Jeremy? You know, we, like we talked about before we started recording, this is a very heady topic. And there's a lot of stuff that most people don't really need to know. I mean, brewers need to know this stuff. Home brewers love to know this stuff. Um, it, there's a lot of chemistry. And, and so if it's, if it's not important to you, the things that I think are important, because I'm not into the chemistry of it all and, this, and the science of it all goes further than I want to go. But the things to understand, you mentioned uh, chlorine. That is something that is typically added into uh, municipal water to keep it uh, sanitary and safe to drink right out of the faucet. But like you said, if we brew with that water, we're going to get Band-Aid plastic bucket and, and, and old school Listerine type flavors out of it. Um, if you use a really, really hard water with a permanent hardness that will not precipitate out with boiling, you know, it's possible to get a little bit of minerally character out of it or a fullness. Um, even just, you can play with this at home and use fresh, you know, pure water and use just a tiny, tiny little pinch of ordinary table salt and you'll get a fullness. You'll get almost like a sweetness. You add a little bit more, it gets a little bit briny. You add a little bit more, now it's salty. That's kind of fun to play with from the sense of the mouthfeel and the flavor expression and water does kind of the same things. Um, uh, sulfates can come through in water. And next thing you know, you're, you're tasting some weird stuff. You can't get rid of this because it came through in the water. Uh, different ways to deal with the water is you can filter it. You can reverse osmosis it. Uh, there's different things that, that you can do to allow, uh, talented brewers to basically recreate the water profile of their choice. The bottom line that I want everyone to understand is just the way the chemistry, the alkalinity, the acidity, and the minerality of the water can bring different aspects of your malt, your hops, and your yeast in, into and out of focus when it comes to flavor. Um, whether you memorize any of the chemistry, it's a, it doesn't matter. Just understand that water is going to uh, basically di dictate how that beer is going to come through. And it's, yeah, it's and amazing. I I love everything you just rounded out. And that, that kind of covers some of the main components for flavors 
or the, the main um, influencers for flavors that you might get in beer. Um, so Jeremy, let's talk about and kind of bring everyone home and listening. Like, where do they use this information? Where do you think is the best place to get this information and the like? Uh, well, a lot of this information that I've got, uh, that I've gotten, um, were from resources that, uh, you created at craftbeer.com. They've really helped me out tremendously. Like the ones you just showed, um, there's a few books out as well, um, on, on malt hops, uh, yeast water. Uh, but that's, that's really higher level knowledge. Um, one of my favorite, favorite resources just to get a overall breadth of all the stuff is really tasting beer by Randy Mosher. To me, that was ground zero on, on getting, on getting um, just kind of a, a complete, thorough lay of the land before I took it into beer nerd uh, town. Um, that was a, a great spot. So it depends on why you need to know the stuff. If you're a brewer, then you're going to have to go higher level. If you're a distributor or a sales rep or a bartender, um, then then just having an appreciation for the stuff I think is going to be helpful. And it's kind of fun. Talk to the brewers. How? Why does it taste like this? Why does it taste like that? Uh, I think brewers like to do that too, because they want to know, did I get it right? Do I need to go back to the drawing board? Um, uh, if, if I answered your question, I think I answered your question. Do, what else do you want to add to that? Just that everyone's going to populate their own list. There is no one magic bullet no. place that everyone points to is I think some of what Jeremy's bringing up and a lot of the more prolific resources will take you down the rabbit hole as mm -hmm. you start yeah. to dive deeper. Or you can just get a base if you're, you know, listening to this in your table side server and, and just want a um, better grounding on how to describe flavors from the main ingredients in beer. But yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty pleased as punch to uh, one day do a prep zone on every single topic that we just discussed yeah. in, in terms of ingredients in beer um, and making them lengthy and really diving in. So let's well, look forward to that. Well, I do. Have, um, I do have to say, if if you do want to dive in a little bit deeper, you can go listen to another great podcast called Good Beer Matters. I I, I happen yes. to, I happen to know that uh, there's quite a bit of information on the subject uh, uh, there and available. But um, do we want to talk about some of the common off flavors, quote unquote, at all, just to kind of touch feet on those bases? Um, go for it. Lead us through. Okay. Um, one of the there's a lot of different uh, flavors, um, unintended flavors, off flavors that, uh, we can discuss just a few of the big ones, um, that we should talk about would be, you know, the first one on our list is oxidation. Uh, that's when, uh, air kind of has its way with the beer sits on a warm shelf for way too long. Um, this typically is not a problem with packaging. This is typically a problem in the brewing process with splashing all that hot wort uh, and, and getting all that oxygen pickup at that time. But the way that it comes across, if you taste, an, especially an older beer, uh, maybe even an imported beer, and you get the sense of like wet cardboard or wet paper, that is how uh, oxidation manifests in a beer. And it's definitely a chemical reaction. Um, if you've ever cut an apple open and then it sits out in the open air and you start to see it almost patina or oxidize um, with that red rusty color on the apple flesh, that's the act of oxidation mm -hmm. happening right in front of you. And it will not only be a visible um, change, but it also is a chemical change enough to then taste the change because of the influence of oxygen. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the next one on our list, diacetyl? Um, you go ahead, Jeremy. I will. I will bring it home after. Oh, great, perfect. You, you uh, set it up. Diacetyl. This is one of those that I don't particularly um, 
dislike all that much. I, 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 I actually kind of enjoy it, but with in small amounts, it's, it's, um, it's okay to have in like a Czech Pilsner, for example, or in some uh, British milds, because that's just the way that the, that the yeast manifests and that's been part of it. But it, instead of, but the way that diacetyl, um, comes across is almost like, like a movie theater popcorn butter, um, and you certainly don't want your beer to taste like butter. But if you imagine a good Czech Pilsner, it, it almost tastes like, you know, we talked about malt before and tastes like uh, bread. Imagine uh, fresh rolls coming out of the oven and, and they're lightly buttered. That is what a good Czech Pilsner should taste like. Um, so having diacetyl, uh, you know, in very small, uh, lower intensity amounts is actually for me kind of a nice thing. If there's too much, too much intensity, then then it's a different thing. But that can manifest in uh, butter. It can manifest in honey. It can manifest in butterscotch when it gets really strong. Um, again, just understanding. But this is a process where the yeast creates this in the fermentation process and then goes back through to clean it up afterwards. And so if there's a lot of diacetyl in the beer, uh, there's a good chance that it did not have enough time to finish fermenting completely through, or possibly there's somewhat of a, a um, uh, infection in the lines and, and, and it's just coming across as more of like a diacetyl type of flavor. Um, anything you want Right. To and Jeremy, what I love you brought up here with diacetyl or some people say diacetyl is that uh, in some beer styles, it is acceptable. Um, the Bohemian or Czech style pills, absolutely at low levels. Um, Sam Adams Boston Lager has a discerning and deliberate behind the scenes bump of mouthfeel from the diacetyl. Mm. Um, and it'll give, I think to me, a little bit more malt flavor on one of my favorite beers is, is Sam Adams Boston Lager. Yeah. Um, so it can also influence the mouthfeel, give your sense of slickness on the tongue. Um, so that's to pay attention to, but at high levels, when it's going, you know, beyond that low level buttery richness, but to buttered popcorn, it is undesirable. Um, also to know it can come from bacteria, pediococcus. Mm -hmm. It's not just coming from Saccharomyces yeast. Um, and Jeremy described it beautifully where the yeast just has not been given enough time to ferment, um, and scavenge and remove back, um, the diacetyl that occurs. And a lot of loggers, they'll deliberately do a diacetyl rest. So the, the yeast itself has time to reabsorb the diacetyl that it produced, um, during fermentation. Yeah. Um, and there's a long list of these. We could go on again. This it could be its own podcast. Just one last one. Um, acetaldehyde is another one that comes through, uh, typically in the fermentation process. Um, and again, uh, if you give the, the yeast enough time to go back through and scrub it out, particularly in lagers, which are, uh, colder fermented and slower, uh, they need, they just need time. There are some, some breweries try and kick a lager out in a couple of weeks and, and the traditional ones will kick it out after a few months, um, uh, taste the beer, but the way that, uh, taste the beer and decide if it's ready or not, cause it may not be ready. The way that acetaldehyde manifests for me is it can come through as almost like a green granny Smith apple, um, not a red apple, uh, uh, not a red delicious apple, but a green granny Smith apple. And it can also come through as a little bit of like raw pumpkin, maybe, um, maybe like starting to get a little latexy. Um, but, uh, but that's where it, it, it just, it just doesn't taste quite right. It's not the worst, uh, off flavor I've ever tasted, but it is, um, you know, not supposed to be there. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Well described. It basically means green beer packaged too early, um, or high fermentation temperatures that should have been controlled. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but we'll dive into the uh, the other uh, thousand off flavors <laughs> another time. Um, uh, were there any other resources you wanted to share? I'm good. I think it's been a great power, empowering episode. Go forth and and conquer, uh, read, review, read again, and then taste because that's the whole point. Test each other. Um, blind tastings with off flavor kits is also a really good one to know and talk about, um, quickly. You can either get group, um, buy-in to share one. So the cost is lower. Uh, and then you also have people helping serve the beer. So you're serving yourself blind or others blind. So you're not aware of what's being, um, dosed into uh, a base beer, but off flavor kits are really helpful if you're testing or if you want to calibrate to what one specific off flavor is specifically um, concentrated in concentrated levels. Excellent point. If you're going after a BJCP beer judge certification and especially certified Cicerone or above, these are going to be critical. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, um, it was wonderful talking about beer flavor with you again. Let's, uh, Uh, Let's talk next time. Cheers to everybody. Thanks for listening. All right. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Essence of Beer Style, the essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. With advanced Cicerones, me, Julia. And me, Jeremy. Tune into the next episode as we continue exploring the world of beer styles and what to make of them. We encourage you to listen to the prepisodes to build your foundation and better understand beer styles. And before the next episode, I'd like to ask you to review the show and let us know what you'd like featured in upcoming episodes. Until next time, here's to you and your sense of beer style. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.